The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading comes from Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, we thank you for your word. I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but have you ever been in a conversation and you used a word and realized that the people you were talking to and talking with are understanding the word in a very different way than you intended? Well, this happened to me this week, and uh, the word was discipline. Uh, I was talking with some friends around the table about We were talking about the good news of the gospel, that we don't have to be afraid of God anymore because of what Jesus has done, and how about how the Lord loves us through his disciplining us. And almost instantly, I saw like fur raised and doubts like creep in. Discipline? He loves us by disciplining us? When you hear that word discipline, what immediately comes to mind? Maybe a swat on the butt? Or having to go up for a timeout. Maybe having to build up the discipline or the habit of doing the hard thing. Discipline yourself to get to the gym. Discipline yourself to give up eating ice cream. Right? When you hear discipline, the last thing that comes to your mind probably is love. Another word that could have a similar negative reaction to us, especially maybe this year is the word authority. What comes to mind when you hear the word authority? Is it positive or is it negative? Maybe you're prone to think of dictators, world leaders who love to make much of themselves by making little of others. That's what you think of when you hear authority. Maybe you think of police officers abusing their given authority or someone who has authority that's only using it for selfish gain like a boss or a teacher or a parent but at the root of both of these words discipleship and authority are words that have a much less sting to them or negative reaction to them at the root of the word discipline is what disciple follower someone who has a loving teacher or master who cares about them, that they want to be like and model their life around. At the root of the word authority is what? Author. Someone who's writing a story with characters and a plot line and conflict and resolution. Author. 
Today we're beginning our patient, steady walk through the Gospel of Matthew. And this book, the Gospel of Matthew, is a book centered around these two words. Authority and discipline. Author and disciple. It's maybe part of the reason why Matthew is many people's least favorite gospel to read. You like the action-packed, fast-moving pace of Mark. Get her done. Immediately. Or you like the touching, personal interest stories of the gospel of Luke. Or you're an artist and you like the artistic, out-of-the-box style of John. Matthew is not like those others. Matthew's gospel reads a little bit more like an owner's manual or a corporate year-end report. It starts with a genealogy of Jesus' family tree, so many names, and it ends with what could be viewed as the church's mission statement, the corporate mission statement, the Great Commission. And within these bookends are so many statements about authority and discipline that you might be inclined to put the Matthew manual down and grab something a little more entertaining or engaging. But what, friends, what if the relationship between those two words, author and disciple, are exactly what our church needs to hear, to understand? To know in order to not just survive life in this age in which we live, but also to give us purpose, mission, direction as a people towards something that is to come. Your kingdom come. There's that authority. And your will be done, author, by us, your followers, on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew is saying to us, and will be saying to us, write your gospel of heaven's story author on earth. And transform us as disciples to be more and more telling the story through what we say and what we do. So today we begin the gospel of Matthew with the church's mission statement. A mission statement you often see written on the wall on a plaque probably as you enter an organization or a corporation, right? And the purpose of a mission statement is to communicate why this organization exists. Why is it even here? What is its mission? I did a little bit of looking at different mission statements of different companies, and I tell you what, some of those mission statements are kind of sad, Apple's mission statement is to give you, a user, a very good experience. Great. Snapchat mission statement is for you to live in the now. Great. Yes. But there's a little bit more to our mission as a church and an organization. The purpose of a mission statement, again, communicating why we exist. And the question I want to ask us, church, today is this. Is the author's mission mission statement for his disciples, is it ours, church? Is the author's mission statement for his disciples, is it ours, church? Let's read again what the author Jesus wants written on the hearts, on the plaques of his people to remember why it is we exist as a church. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. I'll just read it again. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Three questions I want us to be asking this morning as we ponder the question, is the author's mission statement for his disciples our mission statement, church? And the first question is this. Is his rule our love for living? Is his rule over the entire earth our love for living? The second, is his reign, R-E-I-G-N, is his reign our motivation for moving? And the third is, is his righteousness our gospel for giving? Is his rule our love for living? Is his reign our motivation for moving? And is his righteousness our gospel for giving? First, is the king's rule our love for living? Look with me closer at the first line of the mission statement. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to imagine for a second, if someone walked through our doors right now, this morning, pushed me out from the pulpit, grabbed the microphone, and made that claim. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What might you be thinking? You might be terrified about this guy, this lunatic, this crazy man. This guy is nuts. There's nothing that proves, I don't even know who this guy is. He does it, there's nothing that proves he can make a claim like that. All authority. Heaven and earth, all of it's his, the whole universe. But the beauty of Matthew's gospel, friends, who is most likely the, the disciple who is an accountant type, who's a tax collector, is that Jesus is making this claim, all authority, at the end of his gospel, like an equal sign. And his gospel, his writing, is all of the summing up, all of the figures and line items that were included in his gospel report to say, equals all authority. This is how Matthew begins. He begins with numbers. Three sets of promised generations which produce a king to bless the world. Plus, three temptations by the enemy overcome with scripture. Plus, eight marks of kingdom happiness. Plus, at least 40 prophecies of a coming king come true. Plus, three parables about kingdom. Plus, seven woes to those who don't believe him. Plus, ten miracles, including the raising of a dead girl. And the list goes on and on. It adds up. This this guy has all authority. Jesus is the Old Testament promises come alive. Jesus, his teaching is like someone who wrote the book. Jesus, his character is one of love and sacrifice. Jesus, his miracles show a power over creation that no one has seen before. All authority is his. But you've got to notice how different this king is. Is This authority is from other leaders. This authority, Jesus announces that it's an authority given to him. It's been granted to him by someone else. For Jesus, it's not a game of thrones. 
like it is for sinful human beings, trying to steal power at the cost of someone else. No, it's about becoming nothing for the sake of others. That's how Jesus leads. And the Father gives all authority to his Son, which we heard promised in the Old Testament reading that Kimberly read in Daniel 7, where the Son of Man would receive dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Why was this authority given to him? Why? Why did he get this? Because he loved his Father's will. He loved his Father's plan. He loved his Father's people. This will and this plan and this people was one of love. And he loved his Father's plan more than he loved his own life. And so the Lord says, wow, you have kept the command. You have loved me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And you have loved neighbor as yourself. Here is everything for you. I give everything to the one who keeps my law. Jesus is claiming authority, not as a power trip, but as evidence of a father's love for the world. Authority is a necessary thing in the world. We need it because it holds things together. It keeps things from coming completely undone. And who would you want as your ultimate authority? But the one who would not use his power to climb to the top, but the one who would use his power to make himself nothing for the sake of his Father's will and for the sake of a dying world. All authority is his. As we walk through the book of Matthew this spring, which includes the 40 days leading up to Easter, our Lenten season, we will be regularly asking ourselves the question, do I live as if all authority is his in my life? Do I love what Jesus loves? His Father's will in this dying world more than my own way and my own life? Is the discipline, the loving discipline of Jesus, the ways in which he calls me to do what he asks to do, is it a delight for me or is it a dread? Friends and saints, his authority is rooted in love and so your following him must grow out of love as well. Our prayer might be this, Lord, make, excuse me, Lord, unmake us out of being disciples who do what Jesus asks us to do because we have to or else he's going to smote us. And make us into disciples who love your law because we have been loved by that law. If Jesus and his love is now over everything, let his rule and authority be reflected in how I love my father, how I love my neighbor, how I love this broken world, and even how I love myself. If all authority and rule is his, and it becomes our love for living, the second question this mission statement asks us is this. Is the king's reign our motivation for moving? Look with me at the second phrase of the mission statement. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. His first command 
in establishing this authority is one of motion. Go. Go. The word in Greek, it more has an underlying sense of relocation, of getting out of one place and going into other places. And what is this place that these 11 disciples are called to move out of? For Matthew, it's Judaism. You see, Matthew's gospel begins with the roots of the faith just grounded in Judaism. The genealogy, which we'll look at next week, begins with Father Abraham, the father of faith. The man who was promised that from you, Abraham, will come a son who will bless the world. And guess what? Here he is, King Jesus. And so Jesus breaks the message of faith out from one people to all peoples, all nations. No longer is there a faith identity that's based on bloodlines and circumcision. There is a kingdom identity that is based on the body and blood of the king. And marked with the entrance into this kingdom as disciples, followers of the king, through what? What does he first call them to do in going? Baptism. Baptize them. These new followers from every nation. Baptize them in the name, not of Abraham, not of Moses, not of David. But in the name of the father who came up with this plan to save the world. In the name of the Son who obediently and lovingly carried out the plan to save the world. In the name of the Holy Spirit who was the power, the fuel behind the plan of saving the world. Baptism is a mark of entrance into the people and kingdom of God. It was funny last week as we had the baptismal bowl sitting at the back of the church. As we had Rivers Baptism last week. And someone walked up to me after the service um, and said, you know, I had a thought when I came into church this morning. Um, when I saw that bowl sitting there, they were like, are we doing holy water now? Like, what is going, are we going to need to do the sign of the cross as we walk in because there's this bowl of water? What is going on? I think I might be out. This might be too much for me, they said. But I love those baptism Sundays when that bowl is there because baptism marks a visible sign and entrance into the life of faith that we're in, into the family of faith that we belong, into the kingdom of God. That's why we, in our particular denomination, we not only baptize adults who were blind but now see Jesus as their authority, but we also baptize children of faithful parents. We don't believe that in raising our kids, our children, that they are little heathens who someday will become disciples. I hope we don't believe that as parents. No. We believe that these kids are little disciples that can be shaped and molded into understanding what following Jesus looks like. We mark them as one of his own. Just as we would mark any adult who came to faith with the baptism entrance. Jesus is over everything, including this little one's life. Help me to disciple them. Help me to help them follow Jesus. The mission statement of the church, Jesus is clear, is not to remain ingrown, but to relocate, to be sent out into the world with the good news of God's saving and forgiving son. 
Friends, we are baptized in the name of the Trinity because we now carry the Father's plan. We are now the Son's new executors of that plan. And we have the Holy Spirit to have the power to do this plan. His reign extends through the entire world where every nation belongs to him. Every language singing his praise. Why doesn't this motivate us? Why? What happens for us? Because the remnants of our sin want to keep things just familiar and safe. Every time you venture into a place with Jesus' authority that doesn't acknowledge Jesus' authority or surrender to his love, what's going to happen? There's going to be a fight. His 11 disciples, all but maybe one, were put to death for their relocation efforts. And we want zero conflict and a 100% conversion rate. That's what we want. But if the king relocated from heaven to earth and found himself affixed to a tree, then let that also be me. Because where he goes, I will go. This doesn't mean you have to go overseas and become a missionary, although that is very much a necessary part of the command of the church, capital C. Where might the Lord have you go just this week, friends? that is unfamiliar and presently unkind to Jesus. Instead of thinking, I need to go in here to make, Christian, make a Christian out of that person. I need to get them to pray a single prayer. No. Think instead. Jesus has called me to make disciples, followers of him. How do you do that? By pushing back darkness in what you say and how you live. Asking this unfamiliar and possibly unkind person or people to Christ, would you want to walk with me as I walk with the king for a while? You want to see what this is like? Get out of the American mindset, which Dallas Willard calls the great omission of thinking Jesus said, go and make Christians of all nations. Like an instant read thermometer, you know, when I'm doing America's Test Kitchen and I stick it in the chicken breast and look for 160 degrees and I'm like, boom, it's ready. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, make followers, make disciples. How long has that taken for you? Just check the temp of your own life. It's at 80 and 120 and then 40 and then 160. All nations, friends are actually here in Green Bay, thank the Lord. And it's becoming more of a melting pot of all nations. I love it. Would you maybe consider learning a new language? Learning a new culture? Would you step into Taste of India? Or Taco Burrito Mexico? And by your life and by your love, when you're asked for the reason for the hope that you have, we name the king. And we ask not just, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? No, we ask, do you want to come along with me and follow Jesus as King and Lord? Come with me to church. Let's do this life together as a disciple. This is why the final phrase of the mission statement is so vital to relocation. And behold, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Anytime, anytime in scriptures when the Lord called his people to move, whether it be in Exodus or into the promised land, what was always always included in the call. 
the promise of his presence. The promise that God will be with us. Emmanuel. And Matthew's gospel is also going to correct our individualistic mindset of what God with us means in following Jesus. A Jesus and me sort of faith that has little regard for the church, that's not what he's calling us to. Where does Jesus say he is in the gospel of Matthew? Where does he promise he is? Matthew 18, 20 says this. We're Two or more are gathered in my name. There you'll find them. It's not individualistic. It's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and us. Jesus is here. Because we're here. And make sure we can know that by giving us the preached word, corporate confession, singing, prayer, baptism, Lord's Supper, fellowship, we have him here. When I get my robe on in the morning, I stand in this little coat room back in there. And uh, it's usually, it's around 9.10, 9.15. It's usually pretty quiet. Not everybody's here. But slowly, as I'm putting on the robe and looking at the sermon, I hear the volume increase. I hear laughter. I hear the personalities coming to life. I see the all, I hear the all of all saints. All the stories, the backgrounds, the cultures coming together. And I just, usually on good days, I just smile. Because I'm like, Jesus, you're showing up. You're, you're here. You are now here. Last question. Is his rule your love for living? Is his reign your motivation for moving? The third question, is the king's righteousness your gospel for giving? The last line we focus on in the church's mission statement is this. Teaching them, teaching them, all these disciples from all these nations, to observe, to practice, regularly practice, not just one and done, practice everything I have commanded you. Sometimes when we hear this, everything I've commanded you, go teach it. When we hear this, we get a pit in our stomachs because we know we're, we're not great teachers because we've not lived like He's commanded. Who are we to teach? Someone else do it, because I'm definitely not the guy or girl. But the commands of Christ are able to be obeyed not by our own willpower, but by the Holy Spirit that lives within us. What we're teaching people to practice is what we ourselves are practicing, which is grace-dependent discipleship. We need Christ's spirit-led power to repent, to love, to follow, to preach, to pray, to be perfect. We cannot, cannot, friends, cannot, church, give people a do-more, try-harder, bootstrap kind of discipleship. It'll wear us out, and it'll wear the people we're teaching out. We must give people a daily dependence upon the grace of Jesus in practicing their living. This is the gospel we're giving. The good news that the poor in spirit who had nothing get the keys to the kingdom. Those who say we can't, but Christ can, receive the reward. The gospel, friends, it's so 
fundamental to our forgetting. Because in our sin, we want to be the church who has to do A, B, and C, and you'll have the life of faith mastered. Instead, we need to teach one another that to become a faithful church, we need to depend daily, minute by minute, second by second, upon our master. The ABCs of our faith is all being Christ. He's our perfection, perfectionist. He's our peace, anxious one. He's our help, self-sufficient one. He's our hope, despairing and depressed one. All being Christ is the ABCs of our faith. I'm going to close with this illustration Charles Spurgeon gave on discipleship. And how do we gauge this? How do we know this? That we are truly following after Christ. He says this. Perhaps you walked by a park one day. A park that was part of a, a large estate and property. Think of, uh, did you ever watch the Great British Baking Show? You know, it's like on a property with a big mansion and all that stuff. You're walking by a place like that. You said to yourself, that's a very beautiful place. And possibly the next time you went that direction, someone said to you, I'm wondering if that property would belong to you someday, that that's yours. And that made you take a little bit more personal interest in it. Well, maybe do something, maybe spend some more time around this place and this park and learn a little bit more about it. And by and by the owner died and you learned that he had indeed left the entire property to you. How greatly your interest then increased then, right? This is yours now. And how much more you valued the mansion, the park, the gardens, everything that belonged to that estate. Spurgeon says this in like manner in his discipleship. Christ was precious to me when I first began to hope that he might one day be mine. He was more precious to me when I first realized that he, he really was mine. And the more fully I am assured of my interest in him, the more precious he becomes to me. This is the best test I can give you, saints. The most accurate thermometer by which you can ascertain the rise and fall of your spiritual temperature. Is Jesus Christ more precious to you than he ever was before? This is the heart of what we want to teach other disciples to believe. May this spring in the book of Matthew make our discipleship grow so that Christ is the highest authority, that Christ's reign extends beyond ourselves to all nations, and that everything he commands is a joy because Christ is so precious to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this mission statement. We thank you for calling us to begin our walk through Matthew, hearing it told to us, preached to us. We pray, Father, that you would do a work in us. Help us to see where your authority needs to become something that we love. We love living under. We are rebellious children. We don't 
love living under authority. But you are a perfectly obedient child. Make us more like you. And make the Father's will something that we love above everything else. Father, get us out of being ingrown. May we not be an ingrown church. Thank you, Father, that we have beginnings of all nations here at All Saints. But would you continue to work in expanding the table of grace that we might see and know that more and more of the world is represented in the all of this church. And Father, we pray that your commands would become a delight to us because Christ and the inheritance that he gives his adopted children is ours. May we be motivated by that gift of grace given to us. Not because of what we've done, but only because of what Christ has done. And it's in his name we pray.